Uh, welcome back to The Couch, uh, another great episode. And I'm super excited today because uh, we are talking e-commerce, which is the flavor of the month um, right now. In fact, the flavor of the last 12 months. Uh, with more than 15 years of global uh, e-commerce experience, he's now leading big commerce's APAC operations. This includes the uh, oversight of all the local marketing and sales activities, as well as working to grow the business across the region. He's also a big believer in the best of breed technology um, stacks and also platform customization. So joining me is the Vice President and General Manager of APAC at Big Commerce. Welcome to the couch, Shannon Ingray. Hey, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, talking e-com. Um, how, how have you probably started as we, we kind of get to, I, I'm going to be uh, really positive and say the back end of COVID. Um, who knows what the, uh, well, <laughs> well, I'm putting it out there, but let's just say, you know, in the world of e-commerce, how have you think, how have you seen things change or been changing, especially in the last three months while, while COVID's been on around e-commerce? Yeah, it's been an interesting ride. That's for sure. You know, we went from those first few weeks of just, uncertainty and no one knew what the future held to figuring out it wasn't quite so bad as as what we all thought and now as you said we're kind of coming out the tail end um you know we certainly saw in those first kind of month to two months um with the the closure of stores you know we just saw a massive surge in uh, in online and e-commerce because you know people just um had to procure their goods from somewhere people still need retail therapy for non-essential items um, which is a little bit controversial at the time as well like should I be buying this pair of jeans when you know there's people trying to trying to get goods through the postal system but um, we've just seen a, a an overall massive shift um, to e-commerce and you know while we expect that's going to level level out and we're already starting to see a little bit of that as stores reopen um, certainly, I think it's given e-commerce penetration in Australia a bit of a, a kick in the butt. Yeah, it's interesting how you say you're, you're thinking things or, or, or planning that things might might level out. But I was interested to, you know, I, I read before that before COVID, there was predictions in 2020 that we'd have something like 2 billion global digital buyers out there, you know, buying online. Um, so do you think when we look at the bricks and mortar stores kind of starting to open up that there's going to be a continued kind of um, trend towards the online or will we see then this uplift of uh, going back into the bricks and mortar or maybe a mixture of both? I think there'll be a mix of both. Like there's, there's always going to be people that want to shop in stores for certain items like this. You still can't get that touchy feely um, kind of experience across an e-commerce that, you know, luxury goods offer and, you know, buying a car, for example. Um, although we have seen some good examples of, of people pivoting and, and being able to sell cars online. But, um, you know, you're always going to have people that want to shop in stores. Uh, it's different country to country, but Australians as a, as, a, uh, as a race, we love to, you know, shop in stores. We love to go and hang out at the, the Westfield and have lunch and have coffee and walk around. And even if we're not buying it, we're still walking into stores and, and browsing. So there will always be an element of that in terms of, um, the, the growth in online, I do think that we've now, um, you know, pushed past the point of where we were expecting to grow over the next three to four years. And I don't see us coming back from that. I think we've um, adapted, you know, different channels of people or different demographics of people that, you know, may not have shopped online as frequently or may have been laggards and, and refused to shop online that have now started um, and it only takes, you know, a few purchases to realize how easy things are and they show up on your doorstep and, 
you know, that those people are going to continue to upload, continue to keep those habits. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, I think as you, as you mentioned, like the, it's the experience that brings us back, the shopping experience that brings us in store to some of the bricks and mortar stores. Um, yeah. I suppose if we talk about experience online, mobile commerce, um, mm-hmm. again, you know, that, that's a huge trend. I reckon, you know, 54% of total e-commerce sales um, in 2021 next year would be around mobile commerce. But this same survey that I read said that 12% of consumers find shopping on the mobile web um, convenient as well. So is, is there really going to be this kind of shift, I suppose, from us? And maybe that's the connection between going in, in store and, and being out and about online is using the mobile more. Mm-hmm. I think there's, like you said, it's always a blend. I don't think we can ever say like we're going all in on one channel. You know, mobile um, is a great um, source of transaction, but it's also a great source of information. Um, Looking at, like I'm a big shopper myself online. I also shop a lot in stores and I like to watch how people shop as well. You know, I was in uh, Rebel Sport the other day. I was um, buying some new shoes for my son. Uh, and I wanted to just check, you know, you just kind of a bit hit and miss on quality. So brought up the Rebel Sport website while I was in the store, checked the reviews, you know, like those type of things that are, that are, you know, just informing more of an in-store purchase as well. Like mobile is definitely a big supporter of all kinds of retail. But like you said, there is a big trend to, towards driving actual transactions on mobile. But I don't think you could ever go all in on one channel like you can't say let's just build for for mobile yeah i think one of the things i used to love about you know shopping for example i think one of one of the trends in time of, of how um retail has changed is is when the apple stores came out and the idea that you could go in and touch and fill the products use the products or whatever and then when you wanted to make a purchase there wasn't you know go over and stand in a queue to make the transaction mm-hmm. the actual person that was serving you would bring up a kind of a mobile device and mm-hmm. do your transaction there and email you the receipt. That mm-hmm. that kind of convenience, I think, is probably, do you think, what people are going to want more of? That seamless kind of, um, I suppose, input from the, the salesperson, but then making it really easy to make the purchase. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, like, I mean, we're already, you're already seeing that a lot. Apple were definitely the pioneers of it. But, you know, that's been around for quite a, quite a number of years now. You know, I think um, having people, and this could kind of convert into a bit of a, a COVID-type situation as well, right? Um, taking products and standing in a line at a checkout with other people, you know, is that a thing of the past? Yeah. Like, is that a thing of the past? It'll be interesting to see how um, retailers adapt um, and and how consumers adapt to to what we have to, to do now. So, so let's talk about B2B because I know um, a lot of times people put e-commerce in the B2C kind of space, but I know mm-hmm. obviously big commerce, you, you know, a, a big drive for you guys is the B2B buyer. Um, you know, from what I've, I've felt a lot is that B2B buyers like, you know, the idea of e-commerce because they want to give that B2C-like experience that enables, you know, suppliers to provide a more personalized, even individualized service. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think B2B companies like, especially coming out of COVID, that traditionally would have had just the, the normal process of purchase, maybe in, in, in their shop or, or in their office or, or online through a website, maybe starting to think about how they could use e-commerce? Mm. Well, I mean, um, B2B is interesting because, you know, a B2B buyer and a B2C buyer um, are essentially the same thing. They're both humans that need to make a transaction and you need to give them the information that they need and, and make their checkout uh, flow as easy as possible. 
but the fundamentals of B2B means that there's typically a few more steps or a bit more complexity in the journey that that person has to undertake. So, um, you know, I'm all for like simplifying the, the buying experience is, is what we say. So, you know, thinking about that consumer as a consumer, it doesn't matter whether they're B2B or B2C, think through the journey, think through the um, experience that they need to have, what are the details that you need to capture you know, for as a, as a merchant, manufacturer, whoever I am, if I'm taking a transaction for a $150 pair of jeans or I'm taking a transaction for a $150,000 train part, like the, the process that that person needs to go through to get to that transaction is probably a little bit different. Yeah, and, and, and to your point as well, the buyer journey probably is more extended. Some things take shorter time. You know that you, you're probably going to have a need for you're going to go on you want to make an instant purchase and some you mm. need to probably research just that little bit more so education plays a big part of that, that yeah kind of process. So, yeah so like a, yeah exactly right so like i was saying like it, you just you just need to think about who is your consumer what is their path to purchase um and then designing experiences around them regardless of if it's b2b or b2c um one of the things that we're starting to see a bit more at the moment uh is hybrid commerce so that is a combination of the B2C and B2B um, customer experience into one platform, which, as you said, that's kind of what big commerce does. Um, in our platform, we allow um, merchants to have their B2B and their B2C portal in one. So once the user logs in, you can provide a very B2C, one unit of this, one unit of that, go check out with my credit card, or you know, completely changing the experience to might be like a purchase grid where I can just go in and enter my PO and bring up my items, add all to basket, check out on invoice. So, you know, enabling that in one platform obviously makes a, a, uh, a big difference as well. Yeah, certainly a huge difference. I think another one is um, if we sort of move towards, you know, B2B trends, but this is probably also in the B2B space as well is, you know, having that fully personalized online shopping experience. Um, certainly, you know, we, we, we've seen that being, you know, amongst the top five priorities, especially in the, the B2B customer space. Uh, something like 20% or so of customers would like that personalization. I think it's even greater in the B2C space. How, we, how is big commerce particularly sort of driving a more personalized shopping experience for clients? Well, I, I wouldn't say that we are particularly driving it, but what we do is obviously provide the technology that allows you to customize that experience, either through um, your own front end uh, designs and customizations um, or using our technology partners um, to kind of plug into our platform. So we are more facilitators of technology. Um, so we will open up our APIs and um, allow those things to be done on the front ends um, by our design partners and our, our technology partners. Do you think voice is going to sort of start to play a part in, in e-commerce? You know, because we're doing a lot more in terms of voice activation as we move. Is that, is that coming uh -huh. into play in this space? This will be one of those moments where I'm going to say, I don't, I don't think it'll take <laughs> off. And in five years, you're going to show me back this video and it's going to be massive and you're going to be like, I told you so, and it's going to ruin my That's career. Right. Um, <laughs> so I actually don't, I don't think it is. Uh, I think it will for the, for the items that you use it for today. So, Hey Siri, buy, I need some milk. Um, hey, can order some toilet paper and you have your favorite order saved at Amazon. I don't think it's going to take off if I, if I say, hey, Siri, I need a new pair of uh, jeans in a size 30 because you just, 
like I just don't feel like that there's like a yeah <laughs> yeah it's almost I'm, like I'm, yeah, a, I'm a big adapter of technology going. yeah I'm a big adapter of technology I'm a huge online shopper um I have packages arriving at my house pretty much daily and it's not something that I have even considered doing yet yeah yeah, actually, when you put it like that, it, it kind of makes sense because it's not something you can say, uh, you know, hey, Siri, find me a new Toyota Lexus by Friday. Um, yeah, and there's exactly. one suddenly appear. I mean, who knows? Maybe seamlessly, however it was, you know, that, then that, that Lexus turns up out the front door um, yeah. and they've already debited your account or started something. Maybe that's the future. <laughs> who knows? But, <laughs> but, as a, but as a supporter of commerce, for sure, this is what we were getting back to with mobile before. If I, if I say... Hey Alexa, I'm gonna to go to the other side now since I'm it said Siri a lot. Hey Alexa, can you can you find and send me information on that new Lexus? Mm. And then it connects with a dealer or Lexus themselves. They compile the information on the model you're looking for. They email it to you. In that email, you can read it. You can hit okay, I want to buy it, and then you can kind of go on that purchase flow. But yeah. in terms of actually conducting a transaction. Uh, I don't see that out of, outside kind of staple items. Yeah. So, so in effect, it's, it's, it is helping e-commerce, but helping more the e-commerce journey of the Correct. education process rather than that final transaction at the end. Correct. Yeah. Um, that's, a, about, that's a bit um, untapped at the moment. I think there's a big opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, what about niche platforms? If we look at that, I, I, again, I read somewhere that, um, you know, instead of shopping on platforms such as Amazon, you know, which is, mm -hmm. which is just a behemoth, a massive, a massive kind of platform where you do a product search and it returns like thousands and thousands of different options for you that you've got to sift through and find the right one. Do you see niche platforms providing more of a tailored experience becoming more of a trend? Um, I do and I don't. I, I, I guess by niche platforms, if we're talking marketplaces, I think that's something different. But a niche platform, I think, would would just be kind of like a D2C type site. Um, if we are talking about um, marketplaces, um, then potentially, like if it was just a homewares marketplace or, or, or something along those lines, then for sure, you know, if I can go somewhere with it's like going to the mall and going like, Hey, here's the ladies fashion section. That's where my wife wants to go shop. She can go walk around and they kind of like have a little bit siloed. Um, you know, if I could go there and, and then shop for all my goods in one spot, if I'm looking for a new lounge and I could go to a, a homeware um, marketplace uh, or a lounge marketplace, it would be then, then yes. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, um, marketplaces are great they serve a really good purpose but in terms of then going into more niche marketplaces it's it's kind of a bit hard mm. to get cut through do you think because i because i think there's there's been some examples of this trend happening in in industries particularly like healthcare. so mm -hmm. you know instead of going to as i say like a like the amazon example where you're going to and getting everything in, in one big search if you know that there's a particular niche store uh, that you can go to where it's all healthcare products or mm -hmm. I don't know, sleep health products or something like that. Um, you know, do you think that's kind of some move for that where people are going to start to kind of levitate? Mm. Well, I don't think that's really any, like a, a marketplace is really just a brand or, or a retailer yeah. right, that's selling other people's products. I don't really think that's any different to just standard direct to consumer retail. Um, you know, regardless of if it's a marketplace or if it's direct, um, it would just be about that brand's effectiveness to build um, an audience basically and drive a transaction. So um, yeah, I, 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 I 
do feel like it has merit if the the brand or the marketplace behind it is strong enough to build that um, that audience. Do, do you think as we kind of get out of um, well, again, you know, being being positive here, getting out of COVID <laughs> or post COVID, um, do you think that uh, you know we're becoming obviously more sensitive to our environment for you know how things have kind of changed? Even bringing back the debate debates prior to COVID of um, climate control, do you think B two B e commerce? is maybe becoming a little bit more eco-conscious in a way? Uh, I think that uh, the people that are behind commerce in general are definitely becoming a lot more conscious of their contribution back to the environment or, or lack thereof. Um, you know, there's some really interesting numbers coming out around, you know, dif different demographics of, of people and, and how they feel about that. And um, it's really interesting that the younger generation coming through now are saying that, um, you know, they will only shop with ethically sourced retailers or mm. retailers that have carbon offset. Like it's, it's definitely a, uh, a priority for, for those, um, for those demographics that are, that are, that are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they're, the, they're, the, they're the future in these businesses. So if it's a priority for them as a person, as a consumer, it will become a priority for them to drive change within their organizations once they're, um, employees of that organization so yeah there's there will definitely be some movement coming yeah i think i think it's certainly like we're seeing you know the the current unrest around the world and you know the stuff we've gone through COVID is is being socially responsible as well for organizations mm -hmm. to to get that across so it's not just a i don't know seen as a money-making transaction thing that, that you actually care as a brand yeah, that the brand is giving back. Um, you know, that's it's one thing that I find really interesting um, is that, you know, the the concept of the brands being almost human, like they're a, they're a personality in themselves or a persona in themselves. And, um, you know, it's like people's expectations are that your brand has some human elements to it and that it cares. Whereas, you know, if we look back 20 years ago, you know, a brand was just a manufacturer of a product and no one really cared. It's like, is it cool or is it not? Um, but today it's, it, it's obviously very different. Yeah. Do you, do you believe like, uh, like certainly with content, like being such an important part, if we, if we look at, you know, people that maybe haven't already really developed their e-com store, they're starting to plan mm -hmm. their e-com store is rather than thinking of e-commerce being in some cases, just the transaction, here's my product, purchase it that perhaps that whole buyer journey that we like to call, you know, the awareness stage, the consideration stage, the decision stage and the purchase stage, that, that all of that part needs to be mapped out. And did you think e-commerce kind of plays a, a role across that whole journey? Yeah, for me, it's all about the experience first and then that leads to a transaction. So for me, it's, it's you know, your product success will be driven by the emotional connection that somebody builds to it. Um, so whether that's around, like you said, you know, building an awareness campaign and, um, you know, driving uh, knowledge about where that product is manufactured or why it's special or what its, what its social responsibility stat position is, you know, those kind of things are um, what people drive, like people form emotional connections with. Um, and then that's ultimately what's going to drive a transaction. So your goal should be, sales should be an afterthought, like, 100% everyone's businesses run on end sales, but driving the story and building the content around build, uh, uh, developing an emotional connection to that product is what's going to ultimately lead to those sales. And I suppose it's important when we think about it, not just content, but also just, um, you know, using data through that whole experience, like, 
Um, if we go back to B2B buyers, you know, how, thinking about the importance of having that omni-channel experience. So the omni-channel presence. So you're, of course mm-hmm. you've got things like your website, your, you know, your, 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 your true kind of business and your e-store or whatever. I noticed, um, again, you know, without throwing too many stats, stats at you, the average B2B buyer, they say, uses six different channels. Um, so, so how, you know, what, what, what's your experience been in, you know, again, when you're developing this store, if you're developing it for the first time, realizing that they're going to end up on the store, but they might come to it from maybe one of six different channels. Mm, that's the complexity. And that's where I always say to people, like definitely get some advice, um, either from an agency or, or hire, you know, those skill sets because your B2B buyer personas are so much different to your B2C. Um, and the channels that they're coming from, you know, each, when, you know, we talk about developing spe- uh, specific content plans or engagement plans for each channel as well. So, you know, if they're coming through B2B portals, they're coming through marketplaces, they might be coming through, um, like review sites, you know, that, that person's, um, uh, kind of interpretation of the brand. Um, their trustworthiness of the brand is going to be very different depending on where they come from. And so in terms of where you land them on the site or, or how you educate them, what details you're capturing, you know, you, you want to have a very um, sophisticated buyer journey mapped out. When you talk about, you, you mentioned there, you know, the, 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 the kind of the details that you're capturing, it kind of like moves on to the next thing, which is which is data or, or data, depending on where you're coming from or what you're from. Um, <laughs> or if you, you work for an American company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, in terms of, I, I actually say data for, for my, my, my English way back background, but uh, data or data, um, they reckon it's king, obviously, you know, and being able to, to understand like more about the customers. Once you've got that e-store up and running um, and to get repeat transactions, what are kind of, what, what, what is the sort of the data we should be tracking? What are some of the key numbers, the key metrics that you feel are really critical to being able to deliver that, that perfect experience each time? Well, I guess it depends, different depending on your, your product and your goals. Um, I would say for a, um, for a kind of cookie cutter e-com business, B2B or B2C, um, you know, you definitely want to look at your acquisition costs. You want to look at your lifetime value. You want to look at your um, either NPS or CSAT. Like, uh, you know, they're just the, the basic high-level metrics that you want to be viewing. Um, essentially, what that means is acquisition costs. It's, you know, what does it cost you to acquire that customer? And that could be acquire into your database or it could be acquire to uh, a transaction. Um and then lifetime value is figuring out once you acquire somebody, so once they've made their first purchase with you, how, you know what is their <laughs> what is their um, uh, what is their expected or what what does the data tell you? How many times are they going to shop with you? What's the average transaction going to be? And and how long do they typically become a customer for? So, you know the you they're the types of things that you want to be measuring and making sure that you're you're capturing. Are we, are we getting really clever, you think, now with data? So, you know, obviously using BigCommerce and, and other, other kind of data platforms that are out there to be able to start using it to predict stuff, to, to be able to think ahead and say, look, based on historical data, we can kind of now start to, I don't know, predict trends and start to make decisions based on data. Yeah, for sure. There's a bunch of MarTech providers, uh, marketing technology, MarTech um, providers that um, specialize in that, you know, they will um, take a, a data ingest of 
you know, your, your transactions and your customers, they'll provide you all of that insight. Um, and then they have a bunch of scripts that can live on the site. Uh, and so as a new customer is coming to the site, it's already, it already knows about them from their IP address. It knows where they're coming from. So if I'm coming from a paid ad in Google using this um, search term, it knows based on all of the history that my percentage to potential to convert is X. If I convert, then I turn into an LTV of Y. Um, like there is a, a bunch of tools like that that are super sophisticated um, and even go as far as into, um, you know, product recommendations and a bunch of different things. Yeah, you can you can go a bit crazy with data, I think. Oh, that? you can go. I, I, I love geeking out on that stuff. It's, uh, it's, my, back, it's my background before big commerce and, uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy what you can do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing how people don't even use the basic stuff. Like it's like uh, everyone has a digital footprint. Like we know it's there uh, no matter yeah. how much you hide. So just being able to, to, to use that to make uh, the buying experience even more seamless, I think just makes total sense. Hmm. Um, probably as we get towards the end, is, it, is there anything that uh, you're working on? Like, uh, you know, in the shadows there, like for big comments, like what are, <laughs> what, what are the plans that you see? Like if we talked about how things have grown in the last 12 months and we're mm -hmm. kind of coming out of COVID. Like where, where do you think um, things are? What are, you, what are you guys working on? Is there anything new kind of on the horizon from big comments? Yeah, we have a bunch of really interesting things. Um, obviously, internationalization is a, a massive part of our platform and our strategy at the moment. Um, you know, through uh, Australia, we opened an office in Singapore last year. We opened an office in um, Europe the year before that. So, you know, really just buttoning down, um, as you can imagine, when you run an e-commerce platform, there's a lot of really um, interesting and quirky little um, region specific nuances that you deal with, you know, different social media platforms, different payment gateways, um, you know, and you're always wanting to get all them integrated so that, you know, merchants can come and they can just tick a box and um, they can, they can be ready to go with the, the latest and greatest stuff. So, um, you know, you know, that's a really big thing that we, we spend a lot of time on. Yeah, fantastic. So some exciting things to look out for on, on the runway ahead for, for big always. commerce. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And obviously things, um, you know, obviously it seem to be growing um, for e-commerce generally. So it's all going to it's all going to work together. But um, really appreciate you joining me from your couch to, to my couch where we're we're kind of in. Well, you more so than me because I'm actually in the in the office kind of studio here. You're still you're still in lockdown. Still stuck at home. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nice to see you, Shannon Ingray. Thanks for joining us on the couch. Great. Thanks so much.